0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Patrick Ryan from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, U.S.-Canada relations, the new trade agreement, the USMCA uh, that replaces uh, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade uh, Agreement. And we'll be talking uh, about uh, those things and uh, much more in the relationship with Canada with the Consul General of Canada for the Southeast United States, Nadia Theodore. Uh, she's here in Nashville today to visit Belmont University University and uh, the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Nadia Theodore joined the Canadian Civil Service in 2000. She's made her career in the Trade Agreement and Negotiations Branch of Global Affairs, holding leadership positions on several recent and major trade initiatives of Global Affairs Canada, including serving as one of the two Deputy Chief Negotiators for the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, and as the Executive Director of Canada's Secretariat for the Canada-European Union Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement. Consul General Theodore previously served as Canada's permanent mission to the World Trade Organization and at Canada's permanent mission to the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland. Directly prior to being named Consul General for the U.S. Southeast, In August 2017, she served in Ottawa as Chief of Staff and Executive Director to Canada's Deputy Minister for International Trade. With over 10 years of trade policy experience, Ms. Theodore's appointment came as Canada, Mexico, and the United States launched negotiations to modernize the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. As part of Canada's international trade negotiating team, Ms. Theodore built a reputation for forging strong partnerships with government and business leaders and managing complex priority trade initiatives. Ms. Theodore was born and raised in Ottawa, Canada, Ontario, and she holds a Bachelor of Law from the University of London and an MA in political science from Carleton University. Here now, our conversation with Consul General from Canada, Nadia Theodore, and will be joined by uh, Board Chairman of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, Jim Shepard, and uh, Ambassador uh, Charles Bowers, uh, also of the Tennessee World Affairs Council Board. We hope you'll uh, enjoy this podcast, and we hope that you'll listen to other Tennessee World Affairs Council podcasts, which you can find on soundcloud.com slash TNWAC. Also check our website, tnwac.org, for more podcast information and how you can support the World Affairs Council and become a member or uh, provide financial support. Here now our conversation with Consul General Nadia Theodore of Canada. Welcome to the Global Tennessee Podcast. I'm Patrick Ryan with the World Affairs Council of Tennessee, and I'm here with uh, our chairman, Jim Shepard and uh, board member, Ambassador Dick Bowers. Uh, Today we're talking with Canada's Consul General for the Southeast United States, Nadia Theodore. Welcome to Nashville, and uh, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you. And uh, I understand that you've already been around town. You've been to the international... Business Council Luncheon. How did that go?
2: I have, and it was fantastic. It's always good to talk to the fancy lawyers and uh, the business people, and yeah, it was great. It was a great conversation. Terrific. First time in Nashville? No, not at all. I mean, I know I'm supposed to say that I come here for work all the time, which I do, but I will also say that I have been here about three times for girls' trips as well over ah, the past okay. two and a half years that I've been appointed in the Southeast. So Gr- Girls' trips, that, yes. that almost
1: implies people who ride on vehicles up and down Broadway. Or... Oh,
2: well, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I, uh...
3: <laughs> Consul generals have diplomatic immunity. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrific.
1: I'll terrific. leave it
2: to say that I very much enjoy Nashville and all it has to offer. Great, great. Well,
1: we're, we're happy to, uh, to see you here again today and, and uh, look forward to you coming back uh, and spending more time with the World Affairs Council. But today we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things that are on people's mind, the uh, USMCA, uh, the agreement between the United States, Mexico and Canada on trade, which replaces NAFTA. And we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the relationship in general uh, and uh, also touch on uh, what's going on in the world. Uh, so let's let's jump right into it, uh, Consul General. If you could uh, uh, talk about uh, the USMCA, and and you've uh, you've got extensive trade uh, trade background, which we've outlined in, in your biography, uh, but also as uh, the deputy chief negotiator of the CPTPP, which we'll get into later. But uh, t- talk a little bit about uh, the USMCA. What what is that all about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. I am a trade geek. And um, as one of the two deputy chief negotiators that negotiated the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations uh, on behalf of the government of Canada, I have to say that any time I get a chance to talk about trade and trade agreements, it makes me very happy. So thank you very much for, for having me. Um, so the the USMCA, or the new NAFTA, as we like to, to, to call it, um, amongst trade colleagues, is really the agreement that has taken Canada, the United States and Mexico into the 21st century. Uh, And I say that because, you know, our relationship, especially the bilateral relationship between Canada and the United States, is one that is deep that is broad, that is long-standing. Um, I said it earlier on today, and I'll say it again, that you know the importance of the relationship is really exemplified by um, President Kennedy. When he came to Canada in 1961 and addressed the Canadian Parliament, he said, geography has made us neighbors. History has made us friends. Economics has made us partners, and necessity has made us allies. And to me, that really fundamentally talks about the strength of our relationship. And that relationship is really anchored in one that is economic-based. Our um, economies are completely integrated. They depend on one another. Um, But, of course, relationships relationships change, the world changes, and so trade agreements need to change, right? And so when we decided to modernize the North American Free Trade Agreement, we really did so with a view to taking our trade relationship into the 21st century. So the trade agreement deals with issues that over 20 years ago almost did not exist. The internet was brand new when NAFTA was first negotiated and, and signed. And that was 94. right? 1994. So we all know everyone listening here, or maybe some people listening, you know, that's before their time. But the internet the internet was just, you know, was just up and coming back then, right? E-commerce was definitely not a thing. It wasn't the thing that it is now.
1: Right. Well, for some of us, 1994 was a week
3: ago. <laughs> 1994, I was flogging nafta down in Texas. It brought me back from Bolivia to try to gin up support
2: really ah okay yeah so i mean so you know as the world changes as business changes because let's remember that we do these trade agreements not just so that we have fancy titles behind our names and big books on our bookcases you know saying that we negotiated something we do it so that businesses canadian businesses american businesses and mexican businesses have advantages out there in the world Because with the USMCA, with NAFTA, we created what is still the world's largest economic block. And that has allowed us to compete and win against our competitors all over the world. We build things together as a North American economy. We have created these supply chains over the past 20 plus years that really provides our companies with a competitive advantage so that they are able to go out there in the world where the rest of the consumer base is uh, and compete and win. And so to me, The renegotiation of NAFTA, the USMCA, is really just about solidifying what was already a great relationship under the North American Free Trade Agreement, and modernizing things, recognizing that intellectual property is very different, recognizing that the environment and labor are issues that can actually affect trade and can actually affect businesses in markets globally. Um, and within North America, so all of those issues were addressed in the new NAFTA, in the USMCA, uh, in my opinion, to all three countries' benefit.
1: So, what are the main uh, points of the agreement? what What's the what's the meat of it, and uh, why did uh, what, what's different from NAFTA? If this is the new NAFTA,
2: yeah. So, I will say. Um, the three things I'll highlight three things, okay? Because I think that there, there you know, there's a, there are a lot of tweaks here and there, and 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 we can talk about that ad nauseum, or well, I could talk about it ad nauseum. But I think that from a business perspective, um, and from an even from an academic an academic perspective, when we're talking about trade policy, there are three areas that I think are most important with regards to the changes. So rules of origin, especially rules of origin with regards to automobiles. Um, intellectual property, uh, and then dispute settlement um, resolution. So I'll talk about those three things. So first, when we talk about autos, especially rules of origin for automobiles, um, we should first start out with the baseline. So with the North American Free Trade Agreement, the NAFTA, The rule of origin and for those of you who are not trade policy geeks like me, uh, the rule of origin is really just the calculation that is made with regard to the inputs into a product that is required in order for that product to get the beneficial tariff rate. Okay, so when we talk about autos. The rule of origin on autos is really just about the percentage of the stuff, the inputs, that makes a car that needs to be made in either Canada, the United States, or Mexico in order to get that zero percent tariff, that zero percent tax rate, right? Which ends up being um, a, a wider profit for the for the for the business, right? For the company, and then a lesser price for the consumer down the road, because we know that tariffs are actually taxes that are paid first by the business and then by the consumer at the at, at, at the end point. And so, when NAFTA was negotiated in 1994, we understood then that we were creating this economic block amongst ourselves to provide advantages for our our companies within our three countries to create those supply chains that would allow us to source materials amongst ourselves and then compete and win against the world. Great. But we also recognized that we wanted to ensure that our countries and our companies were the ones that got the benefits, right? So that we weren't buying things from other countries, giving them a benefit. And making sure, that, and, and, and therefore creating uh, holes within our North American supply chain. We wanted to make sure that if you got a preferential tariff rate, it was because you were creating value chains and creating jobs in one of those three countries, right? Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So at the time, the rule of origin on autos was 62.5%. So that meant that 62.5% of everything that went into that car, when you added it all up, had to be made either in Canada, the United States or Mexico, right? Creating jobs in Canada, the United States or Mexico. That was the highest rule of origin content in any free trade agreement ever at the time, 62.5%. And until the renegotiation of NAFTA remained the highest rule of origin for automobiles in any free trade agreement. Now, you know, like we said before, the the world changes You know, people start figuring out what the loopholes of things are, right? Um, And, you know, they start playing silly bugger with the value chains and, you know, things, things seep in where things maybe aren't meant to seep in. And the way that we build cars is very different as well, right? And so under the new NAFTA, under the renegotiation of of the USMCA, we sought to tighten up that North American value chain to make sure that the benefit of this agreement was maintained within companies in Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And so we did that by increasing the rule of origin for autos from 62.5% to 75%.
1: And automobiles being uh, probably the largest... Uh, it's the number one export. N- the number sector, the number that's, one sector.
2: That's right. So for Tennessee, you uh, Tennesseans um, sell more to Canada than they do to Japan, the UK, and China combined. Right. Canada is our top, largest market. Largest market and the top export, automobiles. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And not only did we do that, we also included a provision two other things that are important that states that 70 percent of the steel and aluminum that goes into automobiles has to be made in canada the united states and mexico and then we added another piece of it that says 40 to 45 percent of what goes into that car needs to be made by people who are making at least 16 dollars an hour and that, of course, is in recognition of the fact that, like I said before, labor, environment, um, really does m- impact business decisions now. And we didn't want a downward pressure of wages um, sure. f- to any one country.
1: So Mexico complies with that as well?
2: Every All three all countries. Three. We're not going to pick on any one country, but yes, all three countries comply with that. Well, that you know, there's, exactly there's right. uh, a,
1: a lot of criticism of... Uh, Other other arrangements uh, because of the labor costs. Indeed, indeed. And so, and, you know, I say that tongue
2: in cheek, but if we're going to be frank, that is exactly the concern that was raised by the United States during the negotiations. And so all three countries came to an agreement that, yes, 40 to 45 percent of what goes into an automobile needs to be made by workers who are making 16 $16 an hour or more. So that's number one. Intellectual property, again, you know, uh, the world changes. Um, So intellectual property rules have evolved over the years. And we in Canada and in the United States and Mexico always want to make sure that we maintain a balance between consumers uh, and privacy and protection of consumers and innovation. Right? We wanna make sure that companies, when they make that investment to innovate, to come up with a new drug that's going to save lives, um, or write a book that's going to become you know, a best-selling novel for years to come, that that intellectual property is protected for, for, for some time. So we have provisions in the NAFTA, in the new NAFTA, that tightens up those interna- in, intellectual property uh, obligations. And there was a little bit of back and forth on that, especially with regards to drugs, um, and a new type of drugs called biologics. Um, and so right now, Canada provides eight years of protection with regards to biologic drugs, the the patents for those. The United States provides 12 years of protection. And so there was some back and forth as to whether we should be harmonizing that. In the end, we decided not to. But you know one of the things that I find is very good about modernizing a trade agreement is that it allows us as countries to have discussions about where the future of our business relationships are going so intellectual property is is a great example Canada and the United States we have you know somewhat different approaches to how we do things with regards to intellectual property but the modernization of the agreement Allowed us to have formal discussions about where we want to take that relationship and how that relationship is growing and evolving and how we can make it work for both of our countries, for both of our sets of our innovators, and for all of our consumers.
1: Well, that's a, a great explanation of what the uh, the agreement is about. So, where does it stand in terms of implementation? I, I know it was in the U.S. House of Representatives uh, a couple of weeks ago, and. Uh, where, where are we that's as right. far as it uh, so coming we, into effect?
2: Yeah, so we signed it in December of 2019, just a couple of months ago. It's now going through the process in the United States, and I always say to people, um, "I'm, I'm, you know, you should ask Americans about their American process." Um, so it is going through the process in America. I do understand, yes, that it has passed the House, um, so that's great news. Uh, in Canada, it has already been the text has already been submitted to Parliament. Um, and what we have always said is that we will be implementing the agreement in lockstep with the United States. So we just had an election in October. Our new government was sworn in uh, four weeks ago now, I guess. Um, so very soon, Parliament just rose as as well in Canada. So very soon, the agreement will go through the three readings, will be passed in Parliament um, and, and then can be, can be uh, ratified and implemented.
1: Great. Well, we're going to shift gears here, but first I want to remind our listeners that this is the Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're talking with Consul General Nadia Theodore. She is the uh, CG of uh, Canada to the Southeast United States. We're talking about U.S.-Canada relations. Uh, trade and uh, the other uh, parts of the relationship. And uh, with us today is Jim Shepard, chairman of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and Dick Bauer is uh, also on the board. Uh, Jim, you've got uh, a question about uh, the CPTPP?
3: Yeah. Uh, Maybe give our audience a little bit of background on CPTPP and how that derived from TPP, absolutely, and and I would be curious to understand if there are any key provisions that are different in CTPPP versus the TPP mm-hmm. that was being <laughs> discussed prior to that. And Absol- if everybody could follow all those right? PPs, exactly. good for you.
2: Exactly, good for you, good for you, uh, absolutely. So TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Negotiations, um, actually started and Canada was not part of the discussions so, if you go way back, it started actually um, as as a group of four countries, uh, the United States, Chile, Australia and New Zealand. don't quote me on that. It was called the P four. Um, and then it evolved into the trans-Pacific partnership negotiations amongst twelve countries um, for which Canada and the United States were were in there, including Japan and Malaysia and Vietnam, um, and others. And, you know, at the base of it, With any multilateral agreement where you have several countries around a table negotiating an agreement, there is always, always, I would say, twofold with regards to the intended outcomes. So absolutely, it's about market access and it's about setting the rules of trade. And with regards to Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, you know, at its base, Canada and the United States and others that joined into the Trans-Pacific Partnership really had the idea that trade, global trade, and multilateral trade amongst certain partners, especially in the Asia-Pacific region, was really increasing at a rapid pace. And somebody needed to set those rules. Somebody needed to set the bar where we wanted to see it Otherwise, we risk, you know what, If, as we say, if you're not a rule maker, you're a rule taker, right? And so we wanted to be rule makers vis-a-vis the Asia-Pacific region. So TPP was really about that. It was really about, you know, people use the word containment. Um, some of our, our, our friends in, in, in parts of Asia. To, but really what I like to say is it was really about setting the rules of trade for that area. Um, and we did that. Great. Um, So
3: why do you you think the United States withdrew?
2: (laughs) Uh, Listen, you know what? So we did that, and then shortly after, like you rightly said, the United States decided, as is the right of any sovereign country, right, that they no longer wanted to be part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations uh, or agreement. Um, and, you know, listen, I um, do not purport to understand what goes on um, in any, you know, boardroom uh, of any country at that level, right? That's way above my pay grade. Um, but what I can say is that trade, international trade and trade agreements for many countries are always Difficult, really and truly, and especially for governments who come in who have not been the actual negotiator of the agreement, um, it's difficult, right? It is difficult um, to to uh, to understand perhaps where the trade-offs were made and how they were made because you weren't part of that, you know, for a country like the United States of three hundred and sixty million people. International trade is much different, it's a much different equation than for a country like Canada, which is 36 million people. We have to trade. You know, there is really no political party in Canada who doesn't understand the importance of global trade. We have parties that might want to have more on environment and labor and want to make sure that we have, you know, domestic safeguards for those who are losers um, in trade agreements. But every political party in Canada understands that for Canadian economy to survive and thrive, we need to trade.
3: What what percentage and, of your exports go to the United States?
2: Seventy-five percent, my friend.
3: So three-fourths of all the stuff you send around the world goes to the United That's States. That's
2: exactly right. That's exactly right. We have and been trying to imports? diversify. You run, a, but you run a trade surplus we, right, we, with the We run a trade deficit with the, with the United States. So you run a trade surplus with us.
1: Yeah. Well, getting back to the TPP, I think yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I think that we'll, we'll wrap this up and we're, we're going to take a break here. But I think, sadly, that that got wrapped up in politics in 2016. It was poor timing f- to try to bring uh, something that, uh, to many Americans, was inexplicable and easy, easy for politicians to uh, to make hay by uh, blasting it as as something not being in America's interest. And I, uh, well, in, in the interest of diplomacy, I won't ask you any awkward questions. But I, I think I think uh, among the rest of us, we can we can say that uh, that politics uh, was the demise of. Of the TPP, even if it was in, if it was in America's Sadly interest. Sadly, so
3: because, as Consul General mentioned, Pat, somebody's setting the rules for how this trade's going to go on. Right. And if we'd stayed in it, we would have been leading the charge to set the rules for trade for the rest of the decades ahead.
1: Well, and most and an, now, now most, we're not a player. Most analysts would agree that the TPP was in America's interest, economically, but also politically. It, the exactly. Chinese were not involved, and uh, it was a hedge against uh, the trade. Uh, with China and and uh, brought in our trading partners in the in the rest of that part of the world uh, to America's benefit. Unfortunately, it did become a political football. Uh, the Republican candidate uh, tossed it out there as red meat, and even uh, Hillary Clinton had to come out and and say she that she was not, away she it. was not for it because it was just a lightning rod.
2: Well, what I will say is that there is an accession clause. Oh, and we can so come back to the we, table. You know, I, 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 will, I will put that out there. <laughs> <right>. There is an <laughs> accession clause for any country that wants to, uh, wants to join the CPTPP, and is is ready to 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 sign on to the agreement. The C as it the CPTPP,
1: now. but the TPP is is dead and buried. The
2: the TPP no longer exists. And right. to answer the the question that was answered to me previously, there are a few changes. One in particular is intellectual property. Um, so when you go back to setting the rules, I mean. It was the the, the players around the table in the CPTPP that set the rules for intellectual property in a way that, that benefited them.
3: Is that the most significant difference between I would
2: say, I the mean, the there, are, there are there obviously we had to rejig market access, right? Because market access, especially in a multilateral agreement, is always a balance between the countries that are in it. Mm-hmm. So we made changes there as well. Okay. Um, so all of the market access provisions are, are different um, as they need to be because there's one less country in there. You need to do some rebalancing. Yeah. Well, we're
1: now all smarter on uh, on global trade investment. And, and uh, we wish we could spend more time with you uh, on that, but we're going to move to other uh, subjects. uh, After we take a brief break, Ambassador Dick Bowers is going to ask questions about the uh, relationship directly with uh, Tennessee and uh, what you hope to uh, uh, accomplish in your your visits here and encouraging trade and investment and commercial activity. So uh, we're going to take a break. This is the Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council.
0: You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email info at TNWAC.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website TNWAC.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information.
1: Welcome back to the Global Tennessee Podcast. I'm Patrick Ryan with the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're here today with uh, the Consul General, Nadia Theodore, uh, from Canada. Uh, She represents Canada in the southeast U.S., and we're joined by Jim Shepard, chairman of the board of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, Ambassador Dick Bowers, also on the board. And we've uh, we've been talking about uh, trade and uh, commercial activity globally. Uh, and uh, Dick, uh, let me toss it to you, and you can uh, dive into Tennessee uh, economic. Okay, relations. I mean you know,
3: Americans probably don't spend an awful lot of time worrying about trade, except when they can't get what they want, like a Toyota or a French wine or something of that sort. But Canada is the United States' largest trading partner in the world, and within that largest trading partner, where does Tennessee fit?
2: So, within that largest trading partner, Tennessee is right at the top. You are our number one trading partner, Seriously? as well. Absolutely, number one. That's right. Yes, absolutely, Tennessee. W- what are we? What is- are we? selling it's, you people <laughs> you Parkers? sell us a lot of no you sell us a lot of automobiles okay so tennessee is canada's sorry what i should say is canada is tennessee's number one trading partner tennessee sells to canada more than it sells to let me get this right japan uk and china combined um Oh, sorry, no. More than it sells to Mexico and China combined. Japan, UK, and China combined is at the national level. Um, Yeah. And so the relationship is really one that, you know, I think you're right. And somebody said it to me earlier on today. It's such a casual relationship that we have because we are such good friends.
1: It's taken for granted.
2: That's right. You don't understand how important it is. You don't understand that 170,000 jobs here in Tennessee are, is supported by trade with Canada. The value of our trade is $13.1 billion. Tennessee has a trade surplus with Canada. Um, uh, you export uh, $7.8 billion in goods to Canada annually. Uh, you're a top destination for us. With 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 regards to agricultural products, which is very important here in Tennessee, eight hundred and sixty six million dollars in services. I mean, I could go on and on and on, right?
3: So so given the importance that Tennessee has with trade and Canada, when are you moving your (laughs) consul generalship (laughs) to to Nashville and get out of Atlanta?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, listen. I um, you should you don't make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, listen. (laughs) I love, I love Nashville. I love Nashville. And absence makes the heart grow fonder. So the fact that I'm not here every day means that I, I grow fonder every, every, with every minute that I'm not
1: here. Well, tell us, tell us about the commercial uh, development, the the things that uh, you try to do when you come to Tennessee and you talk to business people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I come here, I try and do two things. Okay. So um, and I realize this is the world, you know, This is we're talking about trade and commerce. So absolutely, there is a lot of outreach with regards to Canadian businesses that are here. There are over 130 Canadian companies here in Tennessee, so a lot of that work uh, is something that I do while I'm here. Um, myself and my team are always looking for opportunities for Canadian companies that again, really want to enter into that value chain here in Tennessee. Um, so looking for opportunities for that for us to partner in that sense Um, but then on the other side and a lot of education a lot of this stuff which is the fun stuff right talking about trade outreach to universities letting um, folks that might not know how important the relationship is letting them know just how important the relationship is but then the other side of the job is really about strengthening those people to people ties and the cultural ties Um, So for example, um, Come From Away, which is a Broadway musical, uh, uh, which is based on the story of Newfoundland, Gander, Newfoundland, which is a small town in Canada that took in 7,000 passengers into their 13,000 city, (laughs) 13,000 people city. So they kind of doubled their population after 9-11, after the tragedy of 9-11. Planes were diverted to, Newf- to Gander, Newfoundland.
1: That was on the day of 9-11. That was on the day of 9-11. It, the transatlantic flights returning right. to the U.S. That were
2: coming to the United States. They got redirected to Gander, Newfoundland, which has a population of 13,000. And they took in 7,000 people into their homes, clothed them, fed them, entertained them for a week. Sometimes two weeks for certain for certain amongst them, Um, and they made a Broadway play out of it. I mean, and that just really goes to show you the importance of the relationship. So I talk about that. that The play coming. The play will be here. The play will be here in June. Don't quote me on that. Great. Uh, But the play will be here in the summer, Um, first in Memphis and and then in uh, here in Nashville. So I encourage everybody to go out and see it. If you just Google come from away Tennessee. You'll you'll the dates will come up for both uh, Nashville and Memphis. So get out there and 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 see it. So I do a lot of that as well. Um, I'm going to be at the Frisk Museum later on. We have a a, a fantastic exhibit um, of Indigenous art with six artists um, from Canada that are being showcased there. So a lot of that goes on as well, right? Really letting people know about the rich relationship that we have that goes beyond trade. That's really about cultural ties and about people to people ties.
1: So what, uh, what opportunities that uh, might not yet be in, the, in the, the mix between Tennessee and Canada are there out there, emerging things, new, new uh, technologies or well, business opportunities?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's not a new technology, but I would say that there is a lot of opportunity with regards to agriculture. So our great friends at the Tennessee Department of Agriculture had a very successful reverse mission last year and are actually planning another mission to Canada this year in 2020. Um, And the the reverse mission last year, really, um, we actually got several uh, leads and one actual business deal out of that trip. Um, And so the agricultural relationship between Tennessee and Canada is growing. Um, and, and the folks uh, at the Department of, of Agriculture here in Tennessee work so hard, they're amazing. They've become great partners, and I see a lot of opportunity for us in the coming, in the coming year.
1: Well, let's shift gears a little bit uh, as we uh, try to wrap up our Global Tennessee podcast today, and let's talk a little bit about uh, international relations. The uh, U.S. and Canada are close partners in the North American defense and also NATO partners. Uh, give us a, a, a snapshot of uh, what you see as uh, international things that the United States and Canada uh, have as mutual challenges.
2: Yeah. You know, I would say, uh, and this might sound a little bit esoteric, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk about it anyway because I think it's the most important. Uh, You know, for me, I think that Canada and the United States are really two countries that are faced with the reality that today, more than ever before, or maybe not for a very long time, the international rules-based system the international rules-based order is shaky, you know? I mean, we are in a period of great uncertainty where you might think that folks that were your friends are not your friends. Um, you, you know, there is, there is a great bit of angst globally, I would say, out there in the world. Uh, and I think that Canada and the United States are really poised to play a very important role together, bilaterally, but also in international institutions, at NATO, um, at the World Trade Organization, at, even at the United Nations for all of the, you know, for all of the, the back and forth and, and and stuff that goes on there. Um, in all of these international organizations, to really To really make sure that the global community understands that the Bretton Woods institutions that were created so long ago were really created for a reason. Um, And, you know, as we kind of move around in the world, and that seems like eons ago, the Bretton Woods institutions, we can become complacent, right? And it's sort of a balance between not being always pushing for change. Absolutely the world changes, relationships change, geopolitical uh, factors change. Absolutely and we need to make sure that we continue to push harder and do more and do better. But we have to balance that with not being complacent with regard to the importance of our international institutions and what the foundation of those international institutions and the rules-based system was supposed to bring us. And the marrying up between the economy and economic order and geopolitical order is important. They do not exist in bubbles. You cannot put squares around them. Um, And I think that for Canada and the United States, we share that common concern. And we can work together in the world to make sure that others understand that importance as
1: well. Well, that's the perfect uh, note to end the Global T- Tennessee podcast. Uh, we've uh, learned today about a number of things the uh, United States and, and others take for granted, and, and those institutions uh, are, are one of them. But also uh, we've uh, discussed the uh, commercial relationship with Canada that a lot of Tennesseans take for granted. We don't uh, appreciate what, uh, what that means to the Tennessee economy, and, and we're also, I think, uh, taken for granted – the uh, partnership and the relationship and the uh, the harmony that we've enjoyed with uh, Canada for uh, centuries now and and uh, will endure uh, uh, for much more time to come so uh, consul general nadia theodore uh, thank you so much for being with us today
2: thank you thank you so much this was really fun thank you all
1: we'll have to do it again we'll
2: have to do it again i'll so, hold you to that
1: so that uh, that wraps up this podcast uh, episode of the global tennessee podcast from the tennessee world affairs council we've been talking with consul general nadia theodore Uh, representing Canada in the Southeast U.S., uh, with Jim Shepard, chairman of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and Ambassador Dick Bowers uh, from the board of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining uh, us today. And uh, we'll uh, ask that you take a look at the Tennessee World Affairs Council website, tnwac.org, for membership information and the uh, place where you can make a donation. If you enjoy these podcasts and uh, our community, global awareness efforts, please take a look and uh, drop a dime in in the bucket. We appreciate it. That's it. I'm Patrick Ryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We'll see you next time.
0: This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan. And the voice of Global Tennessee, as well as the Penn Jones conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information.